guys, welcome to Seasons of Wisdom, a podcast where I take idioms and quotes from throughout history and I break them down to discover why exactly they are so important, what truths they actually hold, and how we can use them today so that we may improve our own selves and happiness. I am excited to begin this endeavor with you all, and I hope that you enjoy this process as much as I do. If you want to know more about the podcast or what it is exactly I'm doing, you can always jump on over to my Patreon account, or you can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Seasons of Wisdom. So with that said, let's get started. Today, I want to discuss something I have seen more and more of lately. Once upon a time, humans toiled for hours in the fields or in their work, coming home at the end of the day exhausted. They found peace and happiness in their work, enjoying the simple times with their families and treasuring the moments where they could just be with them. They were kept busy with just trying to get by, living from moment to moment. They enjoyed less crime and less turmoil in their hearts and were satisfied with less than we could even imagine today. Now, one might say that they had less crime because there were less people or they were satisfied with less because they didn't know any better. One might say that there was a proportional amount of crime and dissatisfaction. However, overall, there was a prevailing sense of peace and quiet amongst those who lived in simpler times. There are certainly many reasons for less crime and overall life satisfaction, ones which should be discussed and analyzed. But for today's episode, I want to zero in on the saying, idle hands are the devil's playground. As an explanation for why we see not only a rise in crime rates, but a rise in need for problems with our cultures and establishments. This saying is taken from Proverbs in the Bible, and while it's not a literal translation from an actual verse, it has been adapted by many for years as a biblical saying. The saying idle hands is speaking to the fact that those who find themselves bored or without direction often wind up seeking out trouble or are more prone to temptation. In the Bible, idle is different from the term rest. Rest is seen as good and necessary, while idle refers to someone doing nothing when there is something they could be doing, or being lazy. The actual definition of idle is without purpose or effect. Pointless. So in effect, to be idle is the problem. So why is it seen as such a problem? Are we not all guilty of being lazy at one point or another? When answering these questions, we must also consider that to be idle does not simply imply unemployment or without work. In actuality, it means to be without purpose, to be without an actual underlying morality that guides you. When we look at being idle in this light, we can see how one might be more easily tempted into the immorality of stealing, cheating, and other sins. We see how easy it would be to fall prey to those who would seek to use us for one purpose or another, twisting someone into following their most base desires, which we all struggle with. However, for someone who has a moral background, who knows what they stand for, they are less likely to be manipulated in this way. Instead of having a mind filled with tasks, responsibilities, and purpose, when one is idle, they have no driving force. It is human nature to seek purpose in this world in one form or another. We want to be involved, to interact with the world around us in one form or fashion. We seek out those who give us purpose, those who make us feel as if we belong or are special in some way. However, if we seek out a purpose that can't stand up to logic or questioning, we are more likely to fail or be used by others. People who are preyed upon by others, those evil people who seek only their own gain, they often have no idea which values they hold or where their moral lines should be drawn. The most common demographic that can be used in such a way is the young, who are just discovering the real world after leaving the security of their homes 
in which their families help them form their identities. They seek to know the world themselves and how they fit in the world. Someone comes along, has flowery words, appears to be passionate about one thing or another, and they can pretty much sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. These people are ultimately salesmen, who are intent on selling their purpose to naive people without morals or values of their own. These people seek to gain fame, accolades, notoriety, or fortune from convincing others their version or truth is the correct one. Young people are then convinced to relinquish what little values they do hold by so-called facts, which are often twisted or manipulated to convince people of a conclusion. They forget that facts cannot be anything other than what they are. Truth is truth, and fact is fact. What we attribute to these truths or facts, that's what can be manipulated. What conclusions we draw from these truths can be twisted. So it is imperative to look at the facts, to question every conclusion we draw, and make a determination of what we believe the conclusion should be. No one else should ever tell you how or what to think. If they are, then we must consider their motives and their drives for trying to convince us one way or another. We see in our education system that many of the people we have entrusted with delivering facts and truths to our children have allowed their own personal opinions to color their lessons, often doing their best to convince young people that their way is the right way. A good educator will teach a child how to think for themselves instead of insisting on their way or their conclusions is right above all else. They claim that anyone who questions them has not been correctly educated or has no right to do so unless they can claim to have the exact same qualifications. Why exactly would they be averse to having their conclusions questions if they could support them by essentially showing their work? The problem is that they cannot, and immediately they take offense to anyone who dares point out any flaws to their work or conclusions. They need people to accept them without question, to support their cause and conclusions in order to gain any of the things that they seek. One thing that we find in life, as shown by history, is that once a young person has been in the real world for some amount of time, they begin to draw their own conclusions. They begin to see that maybe these things they once believed or thought were true can't actually hold any water. They become consumed in their daily lives, staying busy with making ends meet, raising families of their own, and enjoying the family and friendships they have developed. They no longer have the idle time to fall prey to those who seek to use them. They begin to weigh the importance of certain things and prioritize those which matter most to them. They see through the shallow arguments made by those who tried to convince them otherwise. It's why, generationally, we tend to see a higher proportion of Democrats in the young, and as they age, they become more conservative. They are no longer so focused on changing the world, but on celebrating the things they have. When we examine certain causes and movements of current times or in history— we must also examine the demographics of the people within those movements. As before, I feel the need to add a caveat that there are always outliers and things that don't fit the conclusions. We cannot ignore the larger commonalities that we do find and realize at the same time that these are generalizations. That being said, when I look at certain movements, I find they have several things in common. First, they have large amounts of young people who have more time on their hands. They don't have as many responsibilities which keep their minds busy, or they have as their main task to think and study and explore. Second, we find that most of these movements have a strong component of the unemployed or underemployed, those who have more free time overall. Finally, and the one that I find to be the most insidious in their intent, are those that are composed of thinkers or so-called intellectuals who their only job is to sit and think. 
They must constantly be coming up with problems or issues in order to keep their jobs. They must produce papers and research in order to obtain and keep tenure. In essence, their sole focus is to develop new thoughts or new ideas, which this would normally be a good thing. The problem is when they're unable to find actual problems in the world, which have all already been identified and picked apart, they turn to creating problems so that they can be seen as visionary or groundbreaking in their thoughts and ideas. Instead of their peers questioning and discussing the arguments presented, they themselves are excited because now they too have new ideas and arguments to explore or put forward for their own job security. The education system has surrounded themselves with like-minded individuals, rarely a conservative among them, and created echo chambers, so that when they put forth such inane conclusions, there is no one to question them. Let me be clear. I don't think that conservatives are better than liberals, even though I myself identify as conservative. I believe that both are necessary to keep people in check, to hold them accountable for extreme ideas or actions. I believe that both parties together can only strengthen each other when they actually come together, and instead of seeing an enemy, but someone meant to help them. I need liberals and discussions with liberals so that I may see different points of views, so that I may sharpen my thoughts and conclusions through debate, or realize when I am wrong and should drop an unrealistic or extreme idea. Only when we are able to see a problem from all angles, not just our own, can we then put forth solid solutions to that problem? So with this in mind, I see these echo chambers and liberal education monopolies as very dangerous and short-sighted. I see the damage that can be caused to our younger generations who consume these weak ideas and arguments that eventually can't withstand the question or logic they will undergo in the real world. When these ideas eventually collapse, we see young people become disillusioned and disheartened, afraid to ever get involved again it turns them against seeking solutions. I believe wholeheartedly that we have problems in this world, real problems with real consequences that deserve to be solved. I believe that these ideas should be discussed in depth and in detail, to look at the facts without slant or bias and to put forth ideas and compromises in order to gain any ground at solving such encompassing issues. I have another episode planned to discuss the need for debate later on in the series, so I don't plan on going into too much detail here, but it is worth mentioning for the simple fact that the two tie in together. So, I have a story to tell, um, a conclusion I have drawn from my time as a nurse working in several different types of facilities, both good ones and bad ones. I go to work, and outside of providing medicine or medical treatments to patients, I also have to answer call lights and provide education to my patients. And through my time, I have found a common theme throughout my many years of practice. I have worked in two types of facilities, those with activity programs such as long-term care facilities and those without, such as short-stay hospitals or long-term acute care centers. It never fails that those patients who have activities to look forward to, people to socialize with, things to do, all tend to have an overall satisfaction in life and they claim to have less problems in life. Whether that's true or not, that's what they think. The same could be said for those patients who do not have activities to look forward to. They don't have any friends or families to speak of, or anything to do except lay in bed and think about all the problems that they have. In those patients, I always get called to their rooms more frequently with several variations of the same problem. Their minds are not occupied. Their minds are idle, so they can't help but sit and think about how miserable they feel, how depressed they are, 
and they even question why they should fight to get better, or any number of problems that become glaringly obvious. Every time, it breaks my heart to see them in such a state, knowing deep down that we could improve their overall health and happiness if only our management developed an activities program. However, for many reasons, nothing has ever changed except my fellow nurses' understanding when I explain to them the patient's state of mind. When I ask my nurse friends, what do you expect them to do when all they can do is sit and think about all the things wrong with them? When I put things into that light for them, they often find a greater patience for that patient who has called them to their room five times in the last hour for tasks they are capable of completing on their own. Their minds crave stimulation and will find a way to do so no matter what, even if that means tending toward the negatives. I can't help but also remember the movie Patch Adams, which has a similar narrative. However, from my experience, it wasn't just laughter that healed, but the stimulation they received. It was the alleviation of an idle mind that allowed them to focus on the good and to keep them from focusing on the problems with their bodies. Now, apply the same concept to society and the movements we have seen arise both historically or in current times. Those who are preoccupied and busy in their lives, those who are focused on work, family, or friendships, don't tend to be the ones who become involved in these movements. They also don't tend to see the problems that those in the movements put forward, or rather, they don't tend to put the same amount of weight on those problems as those with too much free time on their hands. Those who have nothing better to do than to focus on everything that is bad, on every problem that faces our society, on everything they don't have, or on all the negatives, are usually the ones that fall prey to those who can provide them with hope or purpose. The mind will always seek to be busy and struggles with being still. If you don't believe me, just try to meditate without any thoughts or actions. Just try to be still, and you will see that it's not really that easy. It requires training and effort to just be. Most never realize that we create our own monsters when we are unable to occupy our minds constructively or have trained them to rest appropriately. By not keeping our minds active, we allow the evil in this world to persecute us and our thoughts. If we don't realize this about ourselves, we are at risk of falling victim to those thoughts, which often lead to evil actions. So, it is absolutely imperative that we recognize that idle thoughts are the devil's playground, and we take steps to avoid being manipulated by the darkness in this world. That's it for today, guys. I have had so much fun with this whole process, and I look forward to bringing you so much more. I have a ton of new stuff already planned out, just waiting to be discovered together. So if you like what you've heard or believe that what I'm doing here is a good thing, please go to my Patreon page at Seasons of Wisdom and consider supporting me in any way possible. It is my hope that with your support, I will be able to bring content to you more frequently and finally be able to focus on this full time. It's only with your support that I will be able to pursue this. So if you can't donate financially, jump over to my Twitter and Facebook pages and share my content with all your friends. I will be updating these pages frequently and sharing sneak peeks into my life and the processes that I use to make this podcast happen. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, may your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door.